Well, good morning. It is a joy just to join with you this morning and lift up and worship as you have uh, been worshiping here through music. Um, it is a joy to have you here at Stonesill Community Church this morning. Those of you online, we welcome you as well, and thanks for making the journey with us each week. I just want to commend you. Um, you did a great job last weekend. We had a lot of things going on, a couple of funerals. Uh, related to our church, uh, we had a guest speaker who came in, did an incredible job of speaking. In fact, we're looking at potentially um, booking an, one of the one of the another speaker for 2024. Uh, one of the authors of the uh, of a book that he had uh, on the resource table in the back here. So God is just using um, these connections and these opportunities to grow and to shape a worldview and. Um, and, and quite honestly, that's what I love about church every week. And we, we get to come together, uh, maybe a viewpoint's challenged, that we need challenged. Maybe we have a priority uh, or maybe we need a new priority in life and we get to evaluate that. We get to kind of recalibrate our, our spiritual settings. Sometimes we, we calibrate our mouses on our computers and, and we calibrate vehicles and, and we calibrate compasses and things. And so church or the gathering together of the Lord's people is an opportunity for us to recalibrate, to set our settings in such a way that, you know, we can get reconnected with God, we can grow, we can learn, and we can expand our viewpoint. Uh, and so that's what I love about Stones Hill Community Church. That's what I love about life. I mean, and you've all been there. Maybe uh, maybe you you're have an attitude problem, but you come to church and get that thing recalibrated. Uh, maybe your heart is hard. Maybe there's stuff that's happened through the week and your heart's hard and you don't want to reach out. But you come to church and you get a new perspective and now you want to build the bridge. Uh, maybe a bridge you didn't want to build before relationally. So when we recalibrate like this, it's good for us. It's helpful to us. And we so desperately need it in our life to recalibrate and recalibrate often at least once a week. Um, so one of the reasons I share that with you is because today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, just recalibrating our spiritual settings. And uh, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes uh, 5 is our passage here today. And it's interesting because uh, this, the series is called A Season for Everything, Finding Meaning in the Book of Ecclesiastes. And so Ecclesiastes, the writer is Solomon, and he, he is writing in the latter stages of his life. And he's looking back and he's trying to help uh, elaborate for us all the different life paths that he's uh, explored and tried to discover meaning and fulfillment in. Um, he's talked about wealth. He's talked about pleasure. He talked about entertainment, education notoriety and fame and he has one favorite word um, that he uses to refer to all those things when when pursued to the exclusion of God he says it is all meaningless Hebrew word is hevel it's all just meaningless it's soap bubbles it's empty it's nothing it's here and gone and there's no significant impact when we live life just merely exclusively for these things well he's going to expand his journal this morning of topics and, and of thoughts and themes, he's going to expand it. And he's going to talk about the fact that he's going to talk about worship, the spiritual life, this thing that we do to recalibrate our, our life settings, our spiritual settings. He's going to talk about that 
And as it was currently being practiced, he's going to call that also meaningless. Hevel. Just like everything else. You mean worship and religion and spiritual pursuit, the recalibration of our spiritual compass, that's meaningless? It was meaningless to a man who had chosen to not acknowledge God and honor God in significant portions of his life. And as he saw worship and the temple, we would call it church, as he saw that whole thing play out, um, he said it was meaningless based on what he was seeing. It's kind of interesting because Solomon took seven years to build the temple. And he also took about 183,000 servants to build the thing. And so this thing was a magnificent structure. And his palace, and we, have, we learn his palace was close to the temple. And so he was in a perfect position to make observations of people coming and going to worship, coming and going to recalibrate that spiritual compass for the week. And he was able to watch this and watch people come and go. And he took notes about some of the things that he saw, some of his observations that he made. Uh, so a trip to Solomon's temple, and if you study that out a little bit, you're going to know it was a multi-sensory experience. Um, there were sights and smells and sacrifices and sounds, and all of this was meant to bring the worshiper to a place of surrender. Uh, you could correct, get a right view of God. You could hear the word of God and uh, align your life with that. Hopefully, it will all transform you. You would come to church, as it were. They would go to temple. They would experience that, the Levitical choir singing and, and, and the priest expounding on the word and, and the sacrifices offered, the incense burning. You smelled things. You saw things. You took it all in. And hopefully at the end of the service and at the end of that experience, you left life ready to do the ultimate act of worship. And that was life change. Life change is the ultimate act of worship. To go out and live differently as a result of what you've experienced and what you've encountered. And so this was the goal uh, you were comforted in your trouble at the temple. You, you were part of something bigger than you in this world, and you recognized that. And so the temple and worship was like a buffer for the soul in, in, uh, in that it was a place to recognize the toxins in our system and to surrender them to God. Anybody got any toxins in your system today, in your spirit in your attitude, you know, one of the things that happened last week, so some of you know that I run um, from time to time on the country roads by our house, and it was one day, it was a rough day, it was a threshold day, so that means you have half marathon pace for several miles, so I was feeling it, and I had a guy come by in a truck, I couldn't see who it was, but I just, he just took up, in my opinion, took up too much of the road, and really, and so I, anymore, I just get completely off the road, but he took up a little too much of the road and kind of the brush back kind of thing. And so I had no idea who it was, but they went by me and it just, it just kind of ticked me off. And so I just turned back around and I went, gave him one of these. Okay. Have you ever given somebody one of these like this? Okay. I gave him one of those. In fact, I walked a couple more steps and I just stopped. I gave him another one. All right. I gave him two. 
All right, now fast forward. That happened several weeks ago. Fast forward, last week, in between the sessions of our great speaker, I had a guy come up to me. He says, hey, this is great. This is a great church family. This is awesome. Hey, you remember a few weeks back? I said, oh, no. Yeah, he said, you remember a few weeks back and you, uh, a guy went by you and you did one of these? I said, yeah. He said, that was me. I don't know what all the ingredients are in humble pie, but I know it doesn't taste good. Okay, I know it for a fact. But you know, life is like that, isn't it? And by the way, we got to level that up and hug that out. It was all good, okay? All good, all good. And, and hopefully this will be his church home and church family because we love, we love that guy and we love all of you because we, you know, we go through these things in life where we give it these, you know, your, your kid at the little league game, you give, your parent want to give it one of those or your spouse, you want to give it one of those, right? A construction job, you give it one of these, what are you thinking, all right? That's how we do life, all right? That's what we do. And they were kind of doing that just like us in Solomon's day. These toxins, these attitudinal adjustments that needed to be made, needed to be made, and Solomon saw something happening in that attitudinal recalibration event every week that was going on that bothered him. Even cynical Solomon, who was doing this with life, right? He saw some things and he said, wait a second, if you're gonna approach this recalibration of your spirit to get in tune with God and God's attitude for your life, it's gonna be tough when you, when you go and you walk into this environment in temple and you've got other things in mind, another, another agenda in mind besides recalibrating the spiritual compass of your life. And see, that's why we come to church every week. That's what I was saying at the beginning here. And that is that we wanna recalibrate the internal part of us. That's what worship is about. That's why when you don't miss one week, okay, it's fine, but you miss two or three weeks, I had someone just tell me this morning, if I miss two or three weeks, man, I'm just out of adjustment. My life doesn't feel right. I'm, my, my patterns aren't right. I'm definitely giving these, okay, more than I normally would, right? That's, that's what Solomon knew. That's what he saw and he understood. And they had a lot of people and he, he lived close to the temple. He, he lived in a palace. He could watch people come and go. He was in temple himself. He took this in and he recognized something that, even that is meaningless because the people, rather than surrendering and obeying the truth, the people were trying to manipulate God. They were trying to cut deals with God. I'll do this for you, God, if you'll do this for me. And that's not what worship is about, but that's what it had deteriorated into in Solomon's time. Or if I do this for you, God, then you owe me over here. And that's what this whole experience of spiritual recalibration had deteriorated into. It wasn't about surrendering life. It was about what can I get out of God? You know, John Wesley was known to ask people, how is it with your soul? Dallas Willard suggested that another way we could ask that same question in a way that maybe is more practical is, is what is bothering you? 
what is, how is it with your soul or, or what is bothering you? And we can ask that today. In fact, uh, Judah Smith, slide 11, if you would for me, slide number 11. Judah Smith has written a book with the title, How's Your Soul? Why Everything That Matters Starts With the Inside of You. Says Smith, you can have millions in the bank, a Maserati in the driveway, and more Instagram followers than the Pope. But unless your soul is healthy, you won't be happy. And I want to ask you this morning is, how is your soul? What is bothering you? And you're at the right place to acknowledge, to answer that question and to know that it's okay if you've got something bothering you. But, but you, just as you go through physical checkups, you also go through soul checkups, and it's best if we go through those weekly. And so if your soul isn't well, if your soul isn't at peace, then you're not well. And so do you want a quiet soul or do you want a peaceful spirit? Uh, Nikki Koziar's slide number 12, if you would for me. Nikki Koziar, Koziar's sometimes will ask her friends, how's your soul? How's your soul? She said, just asking the question makes us pause and reflect. And it gives us the opportunity to get rid of the things that are not making us well. The toxins, the things that make you want to do this at people and at life for crowding you maybe too much, than you, more than you think they should. And she says, she says, I decided to text some of my girlfriends. You girls out there, all of her friends, she says, she sent a text, all of them. She said, I want you guys to tell me, give me feedback. What is going on in your life and in your spirit when your soul isn't well? She said, she said I got all kinds of responses. She, one gal said, I become numb to my feelings and emotions. Another response, I blame everybody but me, and I'm usually restless, more restless than I normally am when my soul isn't well. My temper is quick, and I have feelings of unrest, or I feel anxious and start trying to do things in my own strength, or I become irritable and impatient. I avoid people, and I start to make excuses for not following through with things. If my soul isn't well, I'm defensive and critical. My thoughts and words quickly get to a bad place. She said, I kind of summarized the responses from all of my friends. And she said, and maybe this says it a little more clearly, losing your temper quickly, believing lies, Responding harshly, lacking empathy, making judgments, spending too much time on social media, crying frequently, always stressed out, not being able to see the good in things, working all the time, thinking the worst, not being able to turn your brain off, gossiping, consuming too much food, TV, Netflix, lying, covering up mistakes, not being able to apologize, and pulling back from community and church. It's this all over again. See, when your soul isn't well, when you don't deal with what's bothering you, there's not a spa nice enough, there's not a vacation long enough, there's not a drug strong enough, there's not a cocktail big enough, there's not religion pure enough, there's not a spouse perfect enough to give you the peace your soul craves. So this morning I ask you the question, how's your soul? 
I want to offer to you four soul care strategies. I think they're right here in our text. And we have to really start with uh, this interesting place in the text. If we go to um, slide number four, if you would for me. You know, it's interesting when you work with a passage of Scripture. In this case, we have seven verses on the screen. We'll have seven verses on the screen here in front of you this morning. And when we look at these, sometimes you get at the very... The key to understanding the passage is found at the very beginning of the passage. Some Sundays the key is found tucked away inside on a middle shelf, kind of hard to find. The key to the unlocking that passage. And then there's other times that the key to understanding a passage is found at the very end of the passage. And it just, it's, it's there and it's tucked away. And that's the way it is in these, first, in these seven verses of Ecclesiastes 5 this morning. When we look at these soul care strategies, one of the key soul care strategies or ways to deepen your relationship with God or ways to recalibrate your spiritual compass or ways to alleviate these in your life such that you can get your soul and spirit lockstep with Christ in a way that you can... uh, uh, continue to walk with him even through the difficult places and things that you experience. And so today, at the very end of the passage, I think we have the key to understanding all seven verses here. And that's the the two words at the very end, actually the three words, therefore fear God. Fear God. The fear of God is just a reverence for who he is and what he can do. And it's a, it's a sobering reality that teaches us that God is vastly superior to us and he's got to be first in our life. And if he's not first in our life, then we get toxins in our system. We can't get rid of those things on our own. Donald Miller, slide number 13, writes about the fear of God. He says, I realize it isn't a big deal to fear God these days, but I do. And by that, I don't mean that I have just a deep respect for God or a healthy appreciation for him. I actually get a general sense of terror. It isn't because I think he's a bad guy, because I don't. Miller says the sense of terror comes more from the idea that he is so incredibly other. He's so different. He's in a a dimension and and an existence all all on his own. Like uh, imagine a being with a mind as great as God's with feet like, like trees and a voice like rushing wind telling you that you are his cherished creation. Miller says it takes metaphor and analogy to try to describe God in the Bible. His eyes are like fire, and voice like rushing wind, and he speaks a word and nature jumps and angelic beings fall to their faces in his presence. The most powerful telescope in the world can't reach the, exist, the end of the space that he's created. And yet he is so big and he understands everything and he made it all and he understands its physics and he's so incredibly other. And it's, in, it's imperative that I pay attention to him and that my soul be well. And what Ecclesiastes writer is trying to indicate to us is that at the very foundation of your soul being well, of being healthy, recalibrated, is there is an acknowledgement of God. There's a fear of God. There's a respect for God. He is more than just uh, your homeboy, or he's more than your personal shopper. He's more than your bro Seth Wiggles your muchacha and your Tico Brohe and your bro Montana. God is so other. 
He's authoritative. He knows all things. He understands all things. And it takes an acknowledgement of him and an honoring of him. And, and when we bring that to our spiritual lives, it recalibrates us to who it is that rules and reigns in the, on this planet. So when it comes to the fear of God, one of my favorite stories, I want this to be practical this morning. Slide number 14, if you would for me. Max Anders tells a story about going to a professional dog show and he loved seeing how the dogs interacted with their handlers. And it was the obedience trials. And they took place on a large square lawn, uh, closely mowed grass. And they had to do several things. And it's interesting what they had to do. Um, one at a time, the dogs had to start, stop, change direction, sit, stay, return to their master. Uh, following all the prescribed course that, the, that, uh, that took them all over the lawn, but they had to do it with this, with this condition, and that is that they could not use verbal spoken commands. It all had to be hand commands. And so he was amazed as these dogs would do what their masters commanded them to do and using these hand signals. Um, another thing they had to do was there, there was like a wooden dumbbell and they had to find in a pile of wooden dumbbells, they had to find the one dumbbell that their master had personally handled. Another thing at the trial, they had on command, the dogs had to jump back and forth over an obstacle just with the hand command and hand signal of their, of their master or their leader. They had to lie down in the center of the lawn and be told to stay for a long period of time while their handler was behind a curtain. And... Uh, totally ignored by their master and he was out of sight he or she was out of sight behind the canvas Anders said I noticed uh, two dogs in particular one was a German shepherd and the other was a, a golden retriever and he said the golden uh, the German shepherd was uh, a fun loving dog he just had so much energy and in, when he had to sit and, and stay command at the middle of the green in the trial where he had to sit and stay on command not see the owner uh, for a period of time, he said, uh, Max Anders says that a, a, a rabbit out of nowhere just hops up on the next, next to the green. Wasn't part of the, the trial, it was just, it's just what happened. And so the rabbit's there trying to nibble on some clover and the German shepherd, you can see the German shepherd, he's not just looking for the master now, but he's seeing this cottontail over here picking at the clover. And he said, you could just see the body start trembling. Just like this, it's like, oh my word. And he's just making his way. And finally, he just gives up and he just bolts for the cottontail rabbit. Needless, needless to say, the award ceremonies were over for him that day. But Andrews tells about the golden retriever. He said the golden retriever was incredible. So obedient to his master's every command. It was, the obedience was instantaneous and perfect and the eyes of the golden were fixed devotedly on the young girl who was his handler and trainer and after every drill every drill this golden retriever would come back and the head would be up the eyes would be focused and and the tongue is out and it's panting from doing all the work and and, and he's just locked in on this young lady who was his handler because he's waiting for the next command command me i'm ready I'm ready to do what I've been trained to do. Well, at the end of the competition, they talked about fourth place, third place, third, uh, 
fourth, third, second places. And finally, the prize went to this marvelous golden retriever that the girl had trained. And of course, there was a ripple of applause that washed through the audience. The crowd and the contestants began to disperse. And, and uh, Max Anders said he stayed back to watch this thing. And he said, as he stayed back, the girl wheeled around to face her dog and the dog faced him, uh, her. And she, he said she squealed with delight and she clapped her hands together and the dog lunged up to try to kiss it, lick her right in the mouth and he missed and she backed up and she clapped and squealed some more. He jumps up, he tries to lick her right in the mouth again. He misses, she's running now to the car and, and she's just running and clapping and rejoicing and the golden retriever's doing circles around her, just loving this moment and, and, and if that dog, had been left to his own world, he would have been just another dog, just like my dogs. They run and eat and bark. That's what, what they do. But with the master, his eagerness to please that dog, his, his eagerness to please his, his owner, his master, the dog became a marvel of obedience. And so the question I've got, and I think we'll look at here as we talk about soul care strategies, is are you like the German shepherd? You're on the edge of this thing. You know what God says and you know what his will and plan is, but you see this thing out here and you want to just bolt for it. Or are you like the golden retriever? Eyes locked onto the master, anticipating every move, listening for the next command, so eager to see the body language, the intents of the master, so intent on reading that, not wanting to miss just one little small part of what he's asking you to do. See, are you living close to the master, uh, the one who deserves your highest respect and, and, and awe, and the one who's invested in you, the one who loves you? Are you frolicking with the master in the joy of obedience? See, the fear of God is a basic posture for living your life. And we can't calibrate right until we love and walk with God that way. And in this short passage, what I've noticed, this passage of seven verses, is that, just go to slide number two for me. Slide number two, you're gonna see, and this is incredible observation based on what we've seen up until this point in the book of Ecclesiastes. He talks about God six times, and it's an incredible concentration given the fact he never really drops God's name that much in previous um, chapters. So he says God in verse one. He says God and God in verse two. He says, next slide. He talks about God in verse four, and he talks about God in verse six. And now, he, next slide. In verse seven, he talks about, therefore fear God. You see, the very first step of soul care 
the very first step of offloading the toxins of your soul, of getting past the selfishness, of getting past the self-centeredness, of, of getting past the things on the peripheral of life that's attracting you and pulling you away from this laser focus on walking with God. See, he says there's a fear of God. There's an acknowledgement of God. There's an understanding that the fear of God is not I just cower away in fear, afraid to approach God. No, that's all that the fear of God is. The fear of God is that God has something to say. He's made me. He has something to say to me. He lets me know how life's supposed to work, and I've got to be tuned into him just like the golden retriever. And until we understand that, until we get that place in life and that, that the spiritual formation of that in our hearts and lives, our soul isn't going to be well. We're going to have all those things that plague us that, that the one gal who pulled all of her friends, all of those things of that itemized list of so many things that those are going to be the center of your life and God says uh -uh, I don't want those things I want to be centered in your field of vision level it up with me and Solomon having lived all of these years having gone after the cottontail rabbits just like the shepherd so uh, German shepherd so many times in his life he's trying to show to you that there's a better way to do life there's a better way to live it and the foundation that is needed, the approach to life that is needed. Therefore, he says, fear God. You know, some of the best advice I've ever heard that has kept me stable in chaotic times is as follows. Acknowledge God. Soul care strategy number one, acknowledge God. What you're going to see here in the upcoming verses as well is take the next right step. Take your step, take your step toward God, toward his community. Verse one tells us about that. Third step, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but the text will, will merit it. Watch your mouth in times of when your soul is troubled. Watch your mouth, stay calm in other words. Form a buffer for, from distraction and noise. A very important soul care strategy. Another soul care strategy is keep your word. Verses four and five will, will merit this. Maintain a schedule of your commitments and promises. Sometimes we're, we're in spiritual wilderness and our soul isn't well because we've told God we're gonna do something and we don't follow through. You'll see it. And then finally, a final soul care strategy is learn your lesson. Again, no disrespect intended. But what I mean here and what you're going to see is we have to stay centered and grounded and leveled up in the, the fear of God with, with the acknowledgement that are my eyes like that golden retriever? Am I locked in? Am I reading and sensing and determining what it is God's want, wanting me to say and do and how he wants me to live? So real quickly here, acknowledge your God. That's, the, that's where we leveled up. That's, so, that's top tier soul care is to acknowledge God. What's the next step? Well, take your step, the, the next right step. Look at slide number two, if you would, for me. The text says, Solomon writes, guard your steps when you go to the house of God, when you go for that spiritual recalibration experience, when you go to church every week. He says, guard your step. Go near to live. Listen, and that word connotes not just listening, but obeying. Go near to listen and obey rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, wild promises, unguarded commitments, vain repetition. They're all to be avoided. It's a sacrifice of fools, Solomon writes. 
who do not know that they do wrong. In other words, they, they don't acknowledge or recognize even doing evil. This little phrase, guard your steps, means to pay attention to your steps. Pay attention to the direction of your feet, the direction of your feet. Watch your steps. If you would, pull up for me slide number 9 and 10. It's kind of interesting. Uh, they wanted to, uh, this is Southern Steps of Israel. I've actually been there and seen this. One of the things you're going to notice is some of the steps are longer than the other ones. You have a long step, a short step, and then you have more long steps. Why did he do it that way? Solomon did it this way. Here's the guy that had this built. This is probably the one original part of the temple that still exists today that you can actually see like this. It wasn't rebuilt later. Southern Steps. Why did he do it like that? Watch your steps. You don't come before God with an attitude that tells you're going to tell God all you're going to, what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. You couldn't, you try to run up those things, you're going to face plant when you've got them different measurements, 30 some inches versus 14 inches, and you mix those in and intersperse those in all the way up. You've got to watch your step, Right? He says, you come, when you acknowledge God and the fear of God, okay, he's not your homeboy, he's not your TK Brohe, he's not your personal shopper. God is totally other. He loves you. He's made this world. He understands life. He understands how life best works. He understands our soul and the condition we're in, the, 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 the experiences of life that alienate us from him. He understands it. And Solomon says, you've got to acknowledge God. And the way you acknowledge God, you, go, you look at what, where are your feet pointing. Because where your feet are pointing, where your steps are going, is an indicator of what's going on inside, inside your soul. And so wherever your feet are pointing is an indicator of the, how you would answer the question, how is your soul? See, so we approach God, but we watch our tone of voice, okay? That's what he's wanting to convey. Now, I'm a practical guy. I want you to see this practically. What's your first step? Well, you acknowledge God. You're in a spiritual wilderness. Is your soul not okay? Or is there something bothering you and that keeps bothering you week after week after week after week? You can't shake it. It's, it's got your spiritual cal calibration all out of whack. You don't know what north and south, east and west are because you're just totally out of whack and out of sync. This thing that's bothering you, how is your soul? And Solomon says, you know, watch your step. Take that next first step you need to take. And maybe some of you might need, your first step might be to say, you know, I'm not okay. Maybe that's your first step. Maybe uh, I talked to Bill Nelly and he does FPU, does a great job. And he said, man, he's had times in his life where people come up to him and say, hey, Mr. Nelly, Mr. Hey, listen, I tithe for the first time today. Or I, Mr. Nelly, Bill, listen, I cut my credit card up and I've never done that in my life. That might be the first step. Is your soul troubled? Are there issues unresolved? Are you, are you bothered by something? What's your next first step? It might be that. It might be saying no to an addiction you always say yes to. It's amazing what God does with first steps. We think of a hundred steps, a thousand steps. God says, just take this first step. Watch your step. Make sure you're headed in the direction here that honors God. 
You know, it might be defending a vulnerable person as a first step. It might be giving back what you've taken as a first step. It might be honoring your parent as a first step. Where are your feet pointing? This will tell you about your soul. Acknowledge God, top tier. I'm talking about top tier soul care this morning. Acknowledge God. Second step, take your next, next best step, your next step. Toward God and his community. Draw near and listen well. Okay, verse 1. Okay, so acknowledge God, we take our step. Third, third soul care strategy, verses 2 and 3. Watch your mouth. I don't mean to disrespect, but just stay calm. Form a buffer from distraction and noise. Look at verse 2, slide 2 on the screen. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven with an incredible perspective of everything. You are on the earth, so let your words be few. This is not just a statement of distance. It's God, you know, God is way out there and I'm down here. No, no, it's a statement of perspective. God is in the realm of the infinite he sees he sees the invisible he hears the inaudible and so it's a statement of of God's perspective he knows what he's doing he can see and understand things that we can't see and understand and we go this we give life this and we'll this and we'll this all week long and God says you don't know everything yet You don't know what I'm doing. You don't see what I'm seeing. You don't hear what I'm seeing. So Solomon says, listen, watch your mouth, stay calm, form a buffer from distraction and noise so that you can listen to what God's saying to you in this spiritual wilderness that you might be in, this this state of unrest in your soul. On slide number two, you see this on the screen. Slide number two, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God, he says, because God is in heaven and you are on the earth. And so let your words be few. Solomon says, get perspective. Allow yourself to experience some kind of a practice or ritual that creates space so that your system can be rebooted to declutter your life, to give you space for spiritual discernment. Is your soul not well this morning? How's your quiet time where God gets to speak into that? A dream comes when there are many cares, verse 3 on the screen, okay? A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. Many cares, he says. There's stress and trouble and anxiety, and it's all a convoluted combination of events and anxieties, and their dreams come out, and it just confuses life even more. They really weighted dreams and what they meant in Solomon's time. And he's just like, it's all so confusing to me. Solomon says, you want top tier soul care? Acknowledge God. Take the next right step. Watch your mouth. Fourth, keep your word. Verses four and five. Keep your word. Maintain a schedule of your commitments and promises. Protect and steward the important. That's what promises do. That's what vows are intended to do. You take a marital vow, you're vowing to be there in good and bad. And it sometimes gets bad, but you've made a vow and the promise you made holds you steady in that period of wilderness journeys, in that period when your soul is not as restful as you like it to be. He says in verse four, slide number three, verse four, when you make a vow to God, when you tell God you're gonna do something, then do not delay to fulfill it. 
It's part of your soul recalibration, right? Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. So God, making God promises uh, becomes a seed plot for action in our life. And so promises can be a good thing and they protect, and they protect what's valuable in your life. And so it's, it can be a good thing. But Solomon says, if you make God a promise, he says, make sure you fulfill and keep the promise. You might be in a spiritual wilderness. Things might not be well in your soul because you've decided to renege on something you've promised to God. And Solomon recognizes that. He actually walked through this experience. Hey, listen, you try that. Try making promises to someone and then breaking those promises and tell me how that relationship's going to go. It's not going to go well. And a lot of broken trust and betrayal and the relationship's going to have problems. You try to tell God and make promises to God and not follow through with those promises, that relationship's going to suffer. It's not going to go well. You're thinking, well, what? I want to honor God and I want to follow through, but how, is it, how does this apply to me today? I know they were making vows in the temple. Here I am in church. Well, it's not as, it's not as remote as you think because when you think about it, Think about the guy that says, you know, I'm in a really tight corner here. I'm in a tight spot. God, if you get me out of it, I promise I'll serve you with my whole life. And then God gets him out of it. And now God just kind of a secondary thought, a footnote in the margins of history. Or maybe you've made a commitment to meet with God on a regular basis. And God's like, I'm here waiting every morning or evening and you don't show up anymore. Maybe you, you made a commitment, a promise to spend time with your family, to give that a top priority in your life. And God's like, you know, you have to see and understand the importance, how important it is to spend time with your daughter at this stage of your life. Her, her identity is being shaped and how much your son needs connection. And you made a promise to do that. And maybe you could say, you know, years ago, I took a vow at an altar with the person I married and I promised to be faithful for the rest of my life. Listen, when you renege on that vow, you talk about a spiritual wilderness and you talk about your soul not being well. My goodness, that just destroys the interior part of your life because you know you made this vow, this covenant to honor this person you're married to. And now maybe thinking about reneging or betraying that vow, it, it rips you up on the inside. It, it, it throws your whole spiritual life out of, out of whack, out of being synchronized with the Lord and what he wants for you in your life. It's, it, it's, it's like the German shepherd again. We're being distracted. We're being distracted. And God's like, golden retriever, golden retriever, focus, focus, focus. Think about what you've promised what you said you were going to do. Or maybe you vowed it years ago. Maybe you stood up in a church and you had that little precious baby boy or that sweet baby girl and you promised to raise that baby boy and that baby girl in the love and honor of God and you took that vow and made that promise before a congregation. And God wants to know how are you living that out? How are you walking that out in your life? You see how our soul gets very sick? Solomon says there's, there's ways to address this soul sickness that we feel. 
And uh, it starts with acknowledging God. Take the next right step. Watch your mouth. Stay calm. Let, give God room to speak. And then he says, keep your word. Because sometimes the spiritual wilderness, it happens in our life and our souls get sick when we don't keep our word. Maybe you went to a crave retreat here that we sponsor here at our church and they do such an incredible job, Pastor Dave and the youth ministry. And maybe you went to a crave retreat and you were young and, and you heard God's word address the subject of purity and you made a vow to live a sexually pure life. And then you hit young adulthood and life maybe on your own after that. And now maybe that vow is many miles in the rearview mirror. If you want to create a soul mess, a spiritual wilderness, don't do, don't keep your vow. Don't keep your promise to God. Dishonor God. You see, a spiritual wilderness comes to us in many ways. But don't let broken promises and commitments and promises to God be among the reasons why we languish in dry and desert places. Acknowledge God. Take the next right step. Watch your mouth. Keep your word. I'm your pastor. I want you to get out of the wilderness. I want you to get out of the soul messes. I want you to be able to say, when I say, how's your soul this morning? You can say, by the grace of God, I'm free. I'm free. I, he's at work in my life. I had this happen this week. Instead of this, I gave a hello or whatever. It was all, it's all better now because I've got, I'm acknowledging God. I'm honoring God. I'm locked in on God. I'm that golden retriever. You're saying here, yes, I got that, Lord. I'm on my way. You're saying to do this. I'm on my way. Not do that. Fine. I'll go the other way, the, the other route, right? I'm in. I'm locked in. I want that for you. I want that for me because it seems like every week by the time I get to church, I've got some toxins that have accumulated through the days of the week. And by the time I get here and I get to preach the word, all right, I preach it to myself before I ever preach it to you. And by God's grace, by the time I leave here on a Sunday morning, a lot of those toxins are out of my system because I've been refocused on God. I've been recalibrated on God and I'm ready to go for another week because you were here and you pulled with me because we want to honor God and uh, put him first and take the next step and watch our mouths and keep our word. And finally, I'm talking to you now, church, about top-tier soul care. This is how you care for your soul. This is how you get to a place in your life where you can say, my soul is well, pastor. Thank you for asking. It's well. Final is learn your lesson. Stay centered leveled up and grounded, verses six and seven. Do not let your mouth on the screen, slide three. Do not let your mouth lead into sin and do not protest uh, to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Loose translation, I got caught up in the moment. I said things to God I should not have said. I'm not gonna pay this up. That was ill-advised for me to make that promise. Why should God be angry, Solomon writes in his journal, at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Another loose translation, you're going to end up paying in another way and it will cost you a lot more. When you make your vow and your promises to God, you want to make sure you keep those. You don't want God working against you. Verse 6, verse 7, much dreaming and many words are meaningless. 
worship and spiritual recalibration, it's all meaningless. What we do here is meaningless. Unless you fear God. Unless you're calibrated to him, you're paying attention to him. Unless you're walking through these these, uh, practical things that he has for you to get your soul well. See, God, in Solomon's view, can be provoked. He's not this impersonal deity, distant and far removed from our lives. No, no, he's involved in our lives. He's watching our attitudes. He's hearing our words. He's watching our actions. He's watching the steps of our feet. He's involved in that process, right? So he's not some impersonal deity. Yes, he's other. Yes, he's, he's sovereign. Yes, he's over all, but he's involved in your life and he's involved and he loves you, but he's a God who doesn't just pamper you. He's a God who never holds, he's not a God that never holds you accountable. He's a God that sometimes he calls our bluff. He confronts our sin. He knocks us down. He stands us back up again. And it's all called spiritual formation it's christ being formed in us so that we can say my soul is well learn your lesson you know and one of the things the wilderness experiences of life have taught me is that whether i got to the wilderness and my soul got to a place of sickness whether by my own stupidity the stupidity of someone else or the perceived stupidity of someone else or the sovereign hand of god The wilderness is the place where God always shapes me. It's always where I get to decide what really matters in life. And do I want God more than anything else? And if God never gives me the thing I want most in the world, will I still love him and will I walk with him? That's the question. And I think that's where Solomon wants us to get to this morning. He talks about God six times he drops God's name in this passage. And it's very scarce that you see the name of God in this book. So I want you to pay attention. When you see God pop up, one, two, three, four, five, six times in seven verses, he's saying recalibrate. It's time to recalibrate. Look at at this. Give consideration to what it means to be able to say my soul is well you know walking softly before god with your commitments and how you use the gifts he's given you is so important and it plays out in practical ways the vows that we make the promises we make god uses those like i said to to ensure that we protect what's important in our life sarah kissler tells the story of a charm bracelet maybe you've heard about this her parents made a deal with her that she could date when she turned 16 years of age And so they took Sarah out on a dinner date and they were so excited about having this conversation with Sarah, 16 years of age. They're finally gonna release her to date now. She's been wanting to do this for years, it seems like. And she's so excited to have this conversation with her mom and dad. And so she says, I go to this dinner at 16 and I was expecting a lecture of all the rules. I thought they were just gonna give me a bullet point list of all the things that they were gonna expect me to do or not do now that I'm gonna be turned loose to do some dating. But instead she said, oh, they did. Slide number 15, they just gave me a white box. And in the white box was a beautiful silver bracelet with several small gemstones. And her dad explained, now, Sarah, he said, the charm bracelet is symbolic. You understand that. It represents you and your purity. 
And this is what's going to guide you through your dating relationships. Mom and I can't be with you in all the people that you're going to date and all the situations you're going to be with. We, we can't be with you. And so we want to give you this as something symbolic of, of you and your relationships. And, and her mom pointed to the gray gemstone and she said, Sarah, this one represents the first time you hold a guy's hand. And the pink quartz represents your first kiss, dad chimed in. And the green one, it's an emerald, dad said. This represents your first boyfriend. And the daughter, Sarah, was giggling at this point, and she was catching on. And dad continued, the pearl stands for the first man you're going to say I love you to, besides me. All right. Mom, mom wrapped up their time. The ruby stands for engagement. The diamond represents the time you say I do. Sarah was absolutely loving it. The dad said, now here's the catch, Sarah. The one and the only rule you'll ever have when it comes to dating, so far as we're concerned, whenever you give one of these actions of love, a kiss, and I love you, a hand to hold, you always have to give the recipient the gem to match whatever it was you've given. And she thought and said, you know, I just can't give them all away. I mean, these gems are expensive. And her dad said, did you just hear what you said? Your purity, your heart, your soul is worth far more than these gems on this bracelet. And if you can't find it in your heart to give away your little charms, I don't think you should give away the things that they represent, Sarah. Sarah said, I didn't know if I wanted to laugh or cry because she felt valued by her parents for sure, but she was so disappointed because she, she starts to date. She says, I dated Chad and Chad tried to hold my hand at the beach and she was so excited. She wanted to hold his hand, such a romantic moment. You know, the sun setting, the crash of the waves, the smell of the brine, the sand, it's all awesome. She wanted so badly to hold Chad's hand and she said, all I could do was stare at that gray gemstone wrapped around my wrist. And then she said, God hit me with it. I couldn't give up my little chunk of granite. It was part of my bracelet, which made it a part of me and I wouldn't be whole and the bracelet wouldn't be whole without it. That was Chad. She talked about Kevin who eventually came along and they got really close. And she said, I wanted so bad to tell Kevin I loved him. But then I thought about that pearl and it turned out that I didn't love Kevin as much as I thought I did. <laughs> it's working, isn't it? A promise is working, a vow made. She said, why should I ever give my bracelet charms away in pieces? If someone wasn't in it for the whole bracelet, why should I get any part of it? And then she said, along came Nate. He thought my bracelet was awesome. He never tried to hold my hand. He never tried to kiss me. But he asked me to marry him. She said, I never knew that so many years of torture could amount to so much happiness. As I gave my husband the charm bracelet in its entirety, every gem was there. The little rocks on that bracelet, it was so amazing to give them all to the man I truly loved. 
But she says it didn't end there. Now, our daughter wears it. The beauty of a promise kept. So many times in our life, we've given away pieces of our heart to the cottontail rabbits on the peripheral of life. And it's not just me or you, it's all of us. All of us. And so on one hand, we have a duty to respect God with a healthy, robust respect that doesn't just barge in like we own the place, that just barges through life like we got it all figured out. But on the other hand, we read how that this healthy fear of God, this acknowledgement of God in our life sets us up to walk softly before him. And because of what Christ has done for us, I think sometimes we avoid God because of an unhealthy fear of him. We avoid God because we've given, given away pieces of those gemstones in ways and portions in ways that maybe didn't dishonor, did, they dishonored God, they didn't honor God. And when he, but when we come to God and we see who he is and the beauty of what he's about, we realize that it's not a fear that keeps us away from God. It's, it's, a, it's a fear, it's a healthy respect, an honoring of God that brings us to Jesus. And that in Jesus, even though there's missing pieces of bracelet in our life that's scattered here and there, in Jesus, there's this restoration, there's this soul healing that takes place. And all of the things that disrupt our soul and that make our soul sick can get healed and we can be healthy again. You know, I started this message, and I'm going to wrap it up. Another dog story, and we'll wrap it up here today. So I was, another run story. I was running Country Road, and um, a dog starts following me home one day. This thing was skinny. Uh, I think it's slide number 16 and 20. Just take about 10 seconds on each slide. You'll get a picture of this guy, okay? You can see his ribs and count his backbone, and he, he followed me home on a long run one day, and uh, it was a little bit like Andy Griffith's story, you know, Andy Griffith and Opie. Opie dr- brings the, the, stray home, the, the stray dog home, and then Andy asks Opie, Opie, uh, what about that leash and that collar you got around the stray dog's neck? And Opie looked up at Andy and said, well, Paul, that helped him follow me. <laughs> that helped him follow me, of course, right? Well, this thing was following me and following me. And so I'd seen him out there before. And so Donette was with me on the bike and we had a a collar and a leash just in case we weren't sure. And so he followed me for several miles. And then we finally got to where it was a high traffic area. And a high traffic area, I thought, well, let's see if he'll come to us. We got him to come to us, put the collar around him, brought him home and uh, started feeding him. He hasn't stopped eating since, okay? He's just still eating out of house and home, eats all the time. First in the kitchen at supper time, he smells it, all right? Last to leave, and uh, took him to the vet, got him doctored up. That's all good. Now he like runs me out of, off of couches, chases me out of the bed. I mean, and, but for the longest time, he would just run from everybody. Even me, Donette, he would just run from us. He's like, I'm, I just learned I gotta run for afraid in the world if I'm gonna survive. I can't let anybody get too close to me. And that's what he did. 
Well, day after day, okay, just day after day, getting used to the rhythms and patterns of life, he starts warming up little by little and little by little. And instead of being as skittish as he used to be, now, just like probably yesterday morning, as soon as yesterday morning, Saturday morning, he'll take that nose, he'll bump that bedroom door open, he'll come bounding in, he'll jump up in the bed, he'll, he'll try to give you kisses, and then he'll flip on his back and say, okay, everybody can start scratching now. That's, his name's Owen, by the way. So sometimes when I think about our walk with God, we're kind of like Owen. We're so spiritually hungry and starved. Our souls scattered in a thousand pieces. We got gemstones scattered from here to Texas and California. There's just stuff we've given away in our life, stuff we've refused to take in. Um, we've got attitudinal stuff, priority stuff. We've broken promises and vows, and we are just a spiritual mess. And in all this, God uses a cynic like Solomon. Not a grade A, top tier level pastor with all the great expositional nuggets and points to make. He uses a cynic with a, with a hiss in his breath to tell you something we all need to be told. And that is, lock on to, to your creator. Lock on to Jesus. Anticipate every word, every move, every step, every priority, every attitude. Anticipate it. Yes, I'm, I'm ready. I'm listening. I'm hearing. I'm following. Listen, your soul will never be well. It'll always be sick until you invite Jesus in. I want to I invite you to do that this morning. You've heard me preach, and I've preached. Hopefully, this is universal truth. It applies to everybody, but some of you may be in this congregation, this sanctuary. And you've never taken that next first step that you need to take for top-tier, top-level soul care. And that next step, come to Christ. Invite him in. Will you do it with me today? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace as it comes to us sometimes even through animals. What a message, what a sermon they are. Thank you. Thank you for your word this morning. I needed this today. I needed it. I needed it. My hands go up in the air probably way too often over the situations of life. And I just want to thank you for being with me in those times when my priorities are out of whack, when I'm questioning my promises and commitments to you. And I've questioned them and I'm calling them into question and negotiation about what I'm going to do or not do. And you invite me into this loving life of obedience. You invite me to offload the hurts of the past and the bitterness. You invite me to come into your sanctuary, to come into your presence with boldness and courage because of Jesus and what he makes possible. You are inviting all of us this morning to walk out of here with the ability to say, yes, Lord, my soul is well. My soul is well. And maybe that hymn of the faith says it, it is well with my soul. Whatever has happened in life, whatever my sins have done or haven't done, Lord, you bring healing, you bring new life, and you bring new beginning. And so, Lord, it is today that you would move us all toward top-tier soul care that will honor you with obedience, acknowledge you, 
with a reverence. Take that next step. Shut our mouths. Learn our lessons. And at the end of the day, frolic with the master. Enjoy the celebration of life lived, the victories won, uh, steps gained for the glory of God. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. You have been such a great group. Would you stand with me this morning? Go in his peace and his joy. If you see me out there, give me just at least 10 or 15 feet. How about that? Y'all have a great day. Thank you.